Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. Today's episode has a topic, I'm happy to report, and the topic, it's kind of a bummer. It's not like a downer of an episode, I don't think. It's just something that I keep encountering that the more I think about it, the more it kind of seems sad in a pathetic way, but also in like a larger, maybe sociological way. And the thing that's so depressing, the thing that I want to tell you about, is just the shit that men say to me when I'm working at the bar. Okay, the first subject on the topic of why men make me sad is a regular who comes around and drinks at my bar, I don't know, twice a week maybe? Let's call this guy Riggs. Riggs is in his mid-40s, he's got a full head of graying hair, and he's not out of shape, but he's not particularly in shape. Either. He is a, he's a fairly healthy-looking guy. You can tell that he moves around and that he probably says no to dessert more often than he says yes. But it's not, he's not a glowing portrait of fitness. Riggs comes around to the bar and he distinguishes himself from other customers by being very, very courteous. And he, he's, along with being courteous, he's kind of casually vulgar in a friendly way. And then he, he further distinguishes himself by, by taking his courteousness to an uncomfortable place. It isn't just that he comes in and he calls me sir, it's that he calls me sir after I've told him my name is Alex and he can call me Alex. And it isn't just that he continues to call me sir after I've told him not to, it's that he calls me sir in every sentence. Yes sir, no sir, absolutely sir. It's a sinister kind of thing, and I might be like imagining this, but I've kind of picked up on it. I've seen this, this thing before. The place that I started seeing it was in college, where dudes who... I always got the vibe, it's like dudes who are kind of adrift in their life, and also kind of narcissistic, they do this performance of a kind of militaristic discipline, and they speak in clipped sentences, and they're very precise and very direct and very courteous, and what it's supposed to imply is that once upon a time, they were part of something. They, they were part of something organized, something efficient, and, and he'll just leave it to your imagination what that organization was. Now, Riggs, when you ask him what he does for a living, he will say that he works in law enforcement. Those are always his exact words whenever anybody asks, and that can mean a bunch of different things. If you work for the IRS or the Secret Service, if you're a correction officer at a juvenile detention center, if you're a security guard at the mall, technically all of those jobs fall under the umbrella of law enforcement. But then if you get the ball rolling in conversation, uh, you'll, and if he's had a drink or two, he'll start making remarks about this age of scrutiny that we live in. That's one of his lines. And he will talk about badge cams and the wokeness of people on the left and whatever. He says all these things that kind of indicate that he's a cop. Like, he doesn't say it outright, but he is saying these things that indicate, like, just... No one else wears badge cam- like, shit like that. But so the other day, Reggie comes into the bar, I'm working there. Yes, sir, hello, sir, pizza, sir, thank you, sir. And I pour him a cup of wine, and then another cup of wine. And slowly, he starts picking up a kind of conversational momentum, as he always does. 
and he's riffing about woke liberals and badge cams and, and whatever, the oppressive scrutiny of the media and the everyday citizen, and he tells me that he cannot wait to get out of this job, to retire up someplace in northern Florida where he can just fish all day among like-minded people. He's riffing about how he can't really, he can't imagine himself staying in this job much longer, just wants to cash out his pension and bail. And I sat, after he mentioned that, I was like, hey, it's funny you should bring up pensions, because I've got another regular who comes and sits down here. And this regular, I don't know if he's telling me the truth, but he, he says, he comes in in a postal uniform, he works at the post office nearby, and he says that it takes about 32 years in the postal service to become eligible for a pension. And it surprised me because for some reason I had always thought that like all branches of government work, it's 25 years and the 25 years is sacred. And Riggs hears, as I'm saying this, Riggs' eyes start to widen and he's nodding and he's saying, yeah, that's what it used to be. It used to be 25 and the 25 was sacred and now it's, yeah, it's more. And I said, okay, so how much is it at the police department? And he stops and he goes, it's, it's the same. It's, it's not 32, it's 30. And I said, okay, do you, do you see yourself sticking around for the full 30 years? Because it sounds like your heart's really not into it. And he goes, no, no, absolutely not. Fuck that. I can retire at 20 years with a reduced pension. And that's absolutely what I'm going to do. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. And I said, okay, when is your 20? When does that come up? And then again, he paused. And I could see his mental gears turning in a way that said arithmetic, arithmetic. And then finally he said, eight more years. Or no, actually... No, when you think about it, no, it's like no, 12. I have 12 more years to go. Which sounded kind of fucking bizarre. If you hate your job and you're only sticking around for the pension, you're probably counting down the days to when that pension becomes available. And what does it mean to say, oh, yeah, 12, wait, 8 years, oh, no, actually 12. Like, did you mistake the four disastrous years of your real estate project as police work? It sounded weird, started getting suspicious, and a few minutes later I was like, oh, by the way, what department do you work for? And again, he pauses, and I see the wheels turn, arithmetic, arithmetic. And then, after a long pause, he goes, county. There is no county police department. That doesn't mean anything. This man is lying. He is, in the words of Leonardo DiCaprio, not a fucking cop. But why the performance? Presumably, by lying to me about police work, you want me to respect you for this fantasy job of putting your life on the line and trying to protect society or whatever, but at the same time, you are talking about how the job is bullshit, you hate it, you feel anchored there, you can't get out. And so it seemed that this guy was shooting for two different kinds of appreciation. He wanted, on the one hand, to be respected as, like, a valiant officer of the law, saving lives and protecting us all, but at the same time, he wanted to be pitied. He wanted me to look at him as someone who was being forced into something. He wants me to see him as a working-class victim. And you see this two-pronged male fantasy in action movies all the time, where the protagonist is like this badass hero, nobody fucks with him, he rescues dames and renders justice, but deep down, the man's got demons. He's wounded. And the metaphor of the action hero with PTSD, who's got, you know, a soft side and demons because he saw his buddy get killed in the line of action, that is a metaphor that I think men latch onto because they're like, oh, if Schwarzenegger can cry in front of this beautiful romantic interest, then I can cry in front of my romantic interest. And the thing that this dude wants to cry about is something to do with the fact that he doesn't make as much money as his brother, or his dad doesn't like him. Anyway, there's another fucking... Next example. The second instance I wanted to tell you about is there's another regular at the bar. 
and let's call him Jerome. And Jerome is very cool. We get along really well. I would indeed go so far as to call him a friend. But the thing about Jerome is he is a liar. He lies to me about everything. And I don't take that much offense to it because it doesn't, it's not shit that has to do with me. He just tells me stories of things that obviously did not happen. One time we were talking about why he's not getting the vaccine. And he said, do you know that half a million people die every year from the flu? And I said, Jerome, it's not a half a million people. And I said it kind of loud because it was a, it was an insane number. And right away he backs down and he goes, fine, 200,000. Just arbitrarily dropped the number of deaths by 300,000. I ended up looking it up on my phone and it's like 30,000 people die every year from complications resulting from the flu. But he says shit, not 500,000, but he says shit like this all the time. And when you prove him wrong, he shows no remorse. Nor if you just prompt him to say, as I sometimes do, like, can you tell me you made up that number? He just smiles and won't do it. He smiles as though it is foolish of me to be taking him to task on this because I should be taking for granted that he's full of shit. And yet when he's telling me these numbers, he says it with the utmost conviction, as though he is a scholar and must be taken seriously. So last night, Jerome comes into the bar. I pour him a drink. We're talking about random things. And suddenly he goes, you know, there's a guy at the White House whose job it is to dispose of the president's feces. And I said, Jerome, that's not fucking true. And Jerome says, yeah, it is. I had to do a paper on it in college. And I was telling this story to my girlfriend and she was like, don't do that voice. He doesn't talk like that. This man talks just like that. Imagine Jerry Seinfeld on propofol. Anyway, I said, tell me about your paper. And he goes, I don't know, man. I wrote it a long time ago. He's 32 years old. He makes it sound like he went to, to college in the Pleistocene era. But also when he tells me these lies, he says this shit to me like it's 1998. Like I don't have the internet in my pocket. So I, I, we go back and forth about like, no, there is not a man in the White House whose job it is to pick up the president's poop and throw it somewhere. And he says with, to me with like this contemptuous snarl for my ignorance, he's like, do you have any idea how much information is in your poop? Not just the things you eat, but what's going on in your blood and with your organs? And I said, okay, so what? Some foreign power is going to get Biden's turd and they're going to be like, oh, he's got a vitamin D deficiency already. Let's make sure we block the sun and exploit this weakness. Are they going to clone him? What possible use could they generate from 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 an executive poop. But so I Google it and nothing comes up. And it was so I show him, look, nothing came up. And he was like, okay, change the wording. Type in president feces or White House poop disposal. We typed in like eight or nine permutations of this fucking thing, found one Quora thing or Reddit thing where someone was like, is it true there's a guy in the White House who has to dispose of the president's shit? And the only response was people going, absolutely not. Obviously not. This would be conspicuously public info if it was true. And I said to him, look, obviously this is not true. How, so when you wrote a paper on this, what were your resources? Like, did you have a book that said this? And now, because it's been exposed as bullshit, he's acting as though I should never have taken it seriously to begin with. And he goes, well, this was before we weren't allowed to use Wikipedia. And I said, we just checked Wikipedia. There's no reference of a poop destroyer at the White House. And he goes, well, this was before MLA was mandatory. And I said, MLA has been in use since the 1800s. Did you, did you go to college 300 years ago? And he goes, huh. and he looks left and right and he goes, this was community college. And I said, I taught at a community college for eight years before I started working at this bar. 
and just kept presenting him with like just trying to dig and it got pretty i i guess my motives were like aggressive i just wanted him to say to me i'm a liar and i lied about this for no reason at all the reason i bring these two episodes up is because they're recent examples of something that i'm pretty sure I'm seeing all the time lately, which is men just fucking lying to me for no reason. Like, it's pat and disingenuous to say, I don't understand why they're lying. I do understand why they're lying. I think I do. I think it's obvious that they're lying because they want to impress me. They want to seem like they're in the loop on something, or they're knowledgeable, they've got a checkered past, and they're colorful and dangerous and, and sentimental. But it isn't even that they're trying to impress me. This is something my girlfriend keeps trying to drill into my head whenever I tell her these stories, is like, remove yourself from the equation and make yourself anonymous. Because it isn't the case that these dudes are coming to a bar saying, they want to impress me, a guy named Alex who's standing behind the bar. What they're thinking is here is a man in front of me with the human ability to give me praise, to make me feel like I am the coolest man in the room. That's what they're chasing. They want to be respected, they want to be revered as a scholar and as a great lover, and they also want to be pitied as a victim because I think that at bottom, that is what they feel most profoundly, is that the, the narrative of their actual life the portrait that they could present of who they actually are is so upsetting, is so, so much less than what they wanted to become that they cannot bear to present it to you because you're going to see them for who they are and they don't like that guy. It's confusing, it's aggravating, and in certain moods I take personal offense to it. And I think the reason I take offense to it and I get so bent out of shape is because I've spent my whole life as someone who took people at face value whenever they told me what they were up to, whenever they presented to me a version of themselves that made my own accomplishments seem so minor or non-existent. And now I realize that for one thing, not only were, were those self-mythologizing narratives that made me feel bad about myself lies, lies that were meant to make me feel less so that the storyteller could feel like more, but they were lies that were triggered by other people's lies. These men who are telling me these bullshit self-aggrandizing stories, they're telling those stories because they were lied to by other men or by a culture, someone they, they, they look up to. Someone lied to them, made them feel so small that they in turn told a lie to lift themselves out of that rut and present themselves as something greater. One of my heroes on this earth is the polymath, actor, director, novelist, historian, his favorite book is, is, is Ulysses by James Joyce, so we can use a Joycean word here. He is an all-aroundsman. I'm talking about Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry has said that in his estimation, and I think it's a pretty solid estimation, the defining characteristic of a great person, like a, a fucking solid human being, is that they make other people feel great. He says that he cannot abide the, the notion that there is a great human being somewhere in the world who also makes other people feel like shit. And I, I pretty much ascribe to that idea. I think it's a good idea. But another thing that I believe in very much, and I've brought it up on the show many times, is the fact that I think the defining attribute of adulthood, and it's one of the at attributes that I, I respect above all else in a person, is accountability. Someone who takes ownership of their actions and of their beliefs and of who they are and where they are. And there's a friction there. There's a crossroads. There is a big part of me that simply cannot abide 
the way that these men refuse accountability for their lives and for their decisions and for their accomplishments and pretend to be things that they are not and pretend and, and, and do so with the impression that I'm dumb enough to believe them. But there's another part of me that says I could be a great person right now by simply nodding along as these men tell their lies. It costs me nothing to pretend that I believe them. So why don't I just keep my mouth shut and smile and occasionally give them a little wow, no amigas. If I do that, it will make these men feel special in their hearts and they will go home feeling good about themselves. The answer is pretty obvious. I should just shut my fucking mouth and let these guys enjoy their drinks. I'm trying really hard to to be that guy who can just drink another person's dishonesty, but it's like a it's like a bunch of saliva in a cup. I'm having such a hard time digesting this shit with a smile. But anyways, that's where I am. Not a fucking good note to end on. It's where, it's where we are. Anyways, thanks for listening. I appreciate you sticking around. I'm glad to be back on a normal schedule producing episodes, and I will talk to you next time. Bye.